Hey everybody, you're listening to the Built on Web3 podcast, your on-ramp into the world of Web3. On this show, we chat with product leaders, builders, content creators, and business owners about how they're implementing Web3 strategies into their businesses. I hope you learned something new and enjoy today's episode. George, we're so excited to chat with you today. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. So give us some background on who you are and what you're up to at Commonwealth. Yeah. uh, So I'm George. I'm the head of business and operations for Commonwealth. Um, I got into crypto first back in 2013. One of my friends came to school and told me about this thing called Bitcoin. Um, (laughs) Oh, geez. I was just like, yeah, like, why is this different from PayPal? Uh, but, you know, eventually sort of went into it. His dad set us up with a processor, so we were doing some mining. Um, and it was just sort of history from there. Um, before Commonwealth, I had started a company called Everpedia. Uh, and so it's a, like, decentralized Wikipedia, um, still around and chugging, um, but grew that to about 4 million users in our first six months. Um, so a lot of the work I do is, you know, really focused on... Um, helping solve user problems um, and just trying to like drive growth, um, you know, through like user solutions. Um, anyways, or from there at Commonwealth, um, we do end to end DAO tooling. Um, generally we want to be the easiest place to create, run and join um, DAO. Um, and with that, having a pretty expansive definition of what we consider a DAO, really almost to the extent that we think of them more as just internet communities that have governance and have a bank account. Love it. Yeah, the uh, I love the the simple explanation of it's a group chat with a shared bank account. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Um, so, so you got into crypto pretty early in 2013 um, on the investing side. When did kind of like Web3 and like the utility aspect of crypto and Web3 kind of pique your interest? Yeah, so that was, that was around the time of Everpedia. Uh, so started that in 2016 um, with Sam Kazmian um, and Travis Moore, who are now the founders of Frax. Um, and so, you know, Sam was a very early uh, crypto guy. Uh, and he really sold me on the importance of smart contracts and just like this sort of Web3 movement um, back then in 2016. And they just from there, I was like, okay, this could be important. It's like the next paradigm of the internet. Um, and so just like spent the, like ever since then, like reading all of the white papers, trying to like learn up on the space and, you know, see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Are you a developer? Or how did you build Everpedia? So I'm a, a business guy that knows how to like understand tech, um, but I, I am not a coder myself. So. Got it. So, did you have to then go? Was it Everpedia your idea, and then you had to go build a team, and and I don't know if you fundraised or anything. Yeah. So, so it was first Sam's idea. He then pretty much like slowly added on a, a few of us as co-founders. Um, I was a business guy, um, and am. Uh, from there, we ended up. Uh, there were five co-founders. We had a number of people that were contributors to the platform. Um, Probably when I ended up leaving, it was about maybe five um, pretty full-time contributors uh, beyond the founders. And then we ended up raising $30 million from Galaxy. 
Wow, that is awesome. Um, that's so cool. Four million users is is uh, is not a joke. That's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, pretty crazy. I mean, I think the like the issue that a lot of people like don't even really understand is that Wikipedia has terrible bureaucracy. Um, and so there's only about f- 5 million pages on Wikipedia, which is crazy when it's like supposed to be an encyclopedia of everything. Um, they delete about 20,000 pages a week. They allow anyone that has like a lot of scores. So like if you're an active contributor, you can delete any information from somebody that has a lower score than you. Um, and then like, of their editor base, it's like 87% white males under the age of 30 that work in tech. And so like, there's so much bias, like there's a lot of really broken systems. And, um, you know, from there we were just able to, you know, start publishing content that wasn't on Wikipedia. Um, there's now more content on Everpedia than Wikipedia. And like, that's really where we saw our, our growth. So did Everpedia start as a, almost like a DAO? but not being a DAO or would you consider it a DAO in any kind of realm? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess like nowadays I would consider it a DAO. I think back then, like we didn't even quite understand we were building like quote unquote decentralized Wikipedia. Um, we were just like Wikipedia is broken. Let's fix it. Um, and then from there, um, we eventually ended up tying in, uh, so you can earn token for contributing to the network. Um, and, there's like some aspects of governance in it. I'd say it's like, it's a DAO where you have like this mesh of contributors helping build out the the platform, but um, yeah, probably a, a looser DAO. Does it still exist today? I was just looking that it, it seems like it's IQ.wiki now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Um, so why, why'd you leave? What was kind of the next project that you had your eyes on? Yeah, so, you know, a, a story as old as time in startups, uh, had a conflict <laughs> with one of my co-founders, um, so ended up leaving the company. Um, he ended up getting kicked out of the company, though, so you know, I was right. Um, <laughs> you won the moral uh, around there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, ended up going back to school, so I had taken time off from school uh, to build this and then, uh, you know, figured might as well finish my degree um, and then was doing a lot of consulting for different projects. So um, there were like some shoe companies, a variety of different crypto startups that I was helping with just like growth marketing, mm-hmm. then eventually graduated and uh, actually went to Walmart e-commerce after graduation. Um, so okay. it was like crypto winter, no one was really hiring. <laughs> um, so figured I'd go to uh, the biggest organization in the world and figure out how to do like real operations. Um, after being there for a few years, um, ended up jumping over to Commonwealth. So what, what made you leave? So you were in college and then you yeah. like left, were you yeah. in your freshman year or like which, what, what year were you in when you just decided to leave and why? Like, yeah. So, uh, how, so how I was in my out? freshman year, I was in my freshman year, um, left for a year. Um, so I ended up going to, to Wharton, um, I went there thinking I was going to go into finance and be an investment banker, make lots of money, um, and you know maybe retire early. Um, after like two weeks there, I was like, "Wait, this is not for me." And then Peter Thiel was doing his book tour for Zero to One, um, and so he came to Penn, gave a talk, and was pretty much like, "Drop out of school, just go build something cool." And I was like, "Yes, this is it." Um, and so then just like started playing around with startup stuff during freshman year, and eventually was like, "You know what? I want to take some time off and actually try and build something." So. 
Yeah. That's awesome. It also probably helps that you were mining Bitcoin in 2013. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it's all in Outbox, though. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, damn. damn. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Now we get to in, in five years, we get to say FTX. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. <laughs> Did you? Were time. you? Were you or your companies affected at all by the? The whole debacle. That's good. No, thankfully not. Yeah. So, um, you know, we we don't have too many Solana communities on board, and um, we're pretty safe with our money. So we just keep it like in a bank. Um, yeah. You know, more important that it just sticks around than we try to make money off it. Crazy thought. Keep it in a bank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, so, not super uh, so, tell us, <laughs> so tell us about Commonwealth. So you're you're at you say did you say you're at Walmart e-commerce? Yeah, um, yeah. So, what happened at Walmart e-commerce that made you want to get back into crypto and Web three? Yeah. So, um, at the time, I was living with one of my good friends who was also working in crypto. Um, he was on fund side, and so was still following the space and you know investing and being active and sort of like seeing what's up. Um, Overall, I just felt like I was learning like less and less at Walmart, um, and sort of was getting an itch to like do something new, get back to startups. You know, I was getting annoyed with just like the bureaucracy of a three million person company, um, and so decided, you know, let's let's leave, let's go back to crypto. It seems like this was around like DeFi summer. It seemed like oh, okay, we started to like actually solve this problem of like there's no real applications. And so was catching up with one of my good friends from college who had started Commonwealth. Um, they had just pretty much finalized their first iteration of the product and were ready for go to market. So I came on to lead the go to market for the platform. Cool. And then give, give us kind of the pitch of Commonwealth and what it is and what problem it solves. Yeah. So I'd say uh, there, there's where we are right now and where we're heading. So I'll start with where we are right now. Uh, Commonwealth is a fully crypto-native discussion forum uh, for communities, ties in um, a variety of different kinds of polling options, um, some that are like one wallet, one vote. We have a full integration with Snapshot. We have a full integration with almost all governance contracts. Um, and so you can pretty much like run your entire governance for your community on our platform. From there, we also are, have a Discord bot that just launched. Um, we have like roles and rules functionality. Uh, we have an API. Um, and so all of this allows like a, a really great like community governance um, experience. Uh, currently, we power like DYDX, Osmosis, Axie, Terra, um, and about a thousand other communities. We have pretty much the entire Cosmos ecosystem on our platform. Um, and so it's you know really exciting, really cool seeing like just like actual users. Um, from there, where we're heading is, um, you know, we really like to think of DAOs more as just like crypto-enabled communities or like internet communities. You know, you can have like YGG, you can have uh, call it like Board Apes, you can have um, you know a subreddit that has their own like NFT profile pictures now. Um, all of them have some sort of like internet community tying people together around a core mission. Um, and then they integrate different elements of crypto to solve some of their specific problems. Um, and so in the, the big picture, Commonwealth wants to make it A, as easy as possible 
to create, run, and join these kinds of organizations, and then B, wants to consolidate as much of the tooling into a single interface as possible. Um, you know, so sort of the first initial pain point was like, if you wanted to participate in um, Compound Aave Uniswap governance, you have to make an entirely different uh, forum user for each of their different forums that uses like an email login. Uh, you lose any kind of decentralized identity. You lose any kind of transparency into like voter versus discussion. You can't tie your votes and your discussions together. You have to go between like four different tools to like discuss, poll, and vote. Um, and so, just really, really awful interface. And you know, especially a large part of that is why we see such low participation rates in DAOs. Um, and so, you know, our core thesis is make it as easy as possible to actually participate. And we're going to see participation numbers go up and more of these communities pop up. Got it. That's really cool. So your customers are the communities and they, yeah. I'm assuming they pay you maybe a monthly fee. Um, in totally free right now. It's totally free. Okay. Yeah. What is the business model then? <laughs> so um, we uh, are experimenting with a few different ideas. Um, we do anticipate launching a DAO for ourselves, you know, a, a DAO for a DAO platform, getting very meta. Um, but, uh, you know, with that, I think a lot of the monetization we will leave up to the DAO to decide, um, partly for regulatory reasons. Um, ultimately, I think our, our sort of vision is there'll be a number of different fee switches. Um, part of that will be like, um, some like freemium model for communities. So you can pay extra to get more features, um, from there, um, also having like a namespace type system. So similar to like ENS, um, and, you know, a few other ideas. So. Um, yeah, you, you mentioned that um, that by making it easier to participate, you'd see or hope that participation rates increase when DAOs are on Commonwealth. What is the yeah. typical type of participation that you see in a non-Commonwealth DAO and a Commonwealth DAO? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the easiest metric we have is, um, you know, so... One of our biggest competitors is like Discourse. It's a Web2 forum software. It's like, I think, the biggest Web2 forum software out there. Um, a lot of your DAO forums that you've been to, if it's not on Commonwealth, it's probably on Discourse. Uh, Discourse requires every person to sign up with their email, um, every single forum. Um, and so with that, those forums, and you know, these are some of your biggest DAOs and also you know, small ones as well, you're typically seeing in the range of like three to five percent of your total token holders signing up to be in your forum. Um, on Commonwealth, we're seeing that number is closer to seven to as high as twenty-five percent. Um, and so you're getting a lot more conversion of people to actually join because all you have to do for Commonwealth is sign in with your wallet, and then you can join all of the different communities, um, and everything's tied back to a single user address. Um, for people to sign up for the forums, I'm assuming they have to be a member of that community. Um, like, is it token gated or do like, yeah. I go on Commonwealth and I can join any forum that I want? Uh, so depends. Um, we do enable token gating. Um, we also enable token gating down to like specific topic levels. So, you know, say you have okay. like, say, say you run Uniswap and you're like, I want anyone to be able to participate in Uniswap, but then I also want to have like a specific topic for LPs where you need to have Uniswap LP tokens in order to participate in the discussion, Got you can it. do that. 
Um, you could also have it be like if you only want like whales or like people that are big enough to create proposals, and then you can have a specific topic where it's like you need like ten thousand uni in order to talk. So you can start to gate based off of um, different tokens, um, and uh, you know still enable like public read write access um, elsewhere. Who, who creates mm-hmm. those gates? Uh, so the admins of the community. Before we, we get too too into the weeds here, can we kind of talk about what a DAO is on the most basic level? Like we're all going to Thanksgiving next week. How do I explain DAOs to my family? <laughs> yeah. So I think DAOs really are, um, it, it relates back to just purely governance. And so you have um, a community with like a shared mission um, and like agreed upon rules of engagement. So, you know, it's like that might be okay if two out of the three of us say we're eating like a certain cuisine for dinner, then we eat that cuisine. Um, and so whatever those rules look like, you know, it can be completely different based on what kind of community it is. But you have some sort of agreed upon rules of, for like decision making. And that's really it at like the core. It's, uh, it's members and like a voting awesome. system. Um, from there, you can get a lot more nuanced in you know how you really structure these things for efficient operations. Um, but that's really the simplest um, sort of definition. Got it. So a DAO can be as simple as um, I start I, I start a community of people who like wine, and we use you know governance, which just means voting on what wine we're tasting that week as part of this club. Yep. Um, Okay, and then where? So that makes sense. So we have governance, we have community. Where does the bank account come into play? Yeah, so you you can see like most DAOs have a, a treasury, um, but not all do. Um, with that, I think you can then start to have a, a specific subsection of governance that is voting on how you would spend your treasury. Um, from here, I think it's really important for DAOs to, A, make sure that they're managing it very responsibly. We've definitely seen a lot of DAO treasuries get wiped out from just reckless decision-making. Uh, and then we also see a lot of DAOs that don't even spend their tokens or like our only strategies were long our tokens. So, you know, it's like 90% native token. Um, that exposes you to a lot of risk. Like if your project goes down, you need the cash in order to reinvest. So, um, you know, it makes sense to have stables. And yeah, so I think that that's sort of the core. But generally, the treasury meant to uh, you know empower community and ecosystem development. You, you mentioned something a little bit before when Sean was asking you about the business model of Commonwealth and how when you want to monetize this, you kind of want to create this. Uh, go meta and have a DAO that might decide on that for regulatory reasons. What are those regulatory reasons and why would you do that? I feel like there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. um, So yeah, uh, firstly, none of this legal advice, do your own research. I am not your lawyer. I am not a lawyer. Um, But yeah, I would say um, generally speaking, um, you know, one of the big issues in US regulatory for crypto right now is like our token securities. And so, um, you know, if you have a token where you're like, hey, if you buy this token, it will be generating fees, you will make fees. 
like you buy this token because you will be making money, like you're a security. And so, you know, while we anticipate that, you know, again, there needs to be sustainable business models for these ecosystems, that's just not necessarily a right now question for us personally. Um, you know, I think once you start to get more um, to the stage of say like Gnosis Safe or Maker, where you have an incredibly decentralized ecosystem um, and you can start to actually fall back on more that like, yeah, this isn't any centralized player and the token actually has real use. At that point, you're allowed to start to incorporate in business models um, because you're not a security due to the decentralization. But especially at this point where, um, you know, we do have an entity that's doing the core development, um, you know, it, it's just not right for us to, you know, be like, oh, yeah, we're going to incorporate a business model and yada, yada. So because you are centralized at this moment, it would be inappropriate for you to kind of proceed forward because that would put you in the gray territory versus aligning with more a decentralized approach that kind of limits you from that exposure. Yeah. Pretty much like if a decentralized community decides that they want to potentially add in a fee switch. So, you know, even like we're seeing with Uniswap right now, they're deciding whether they want to turn on their switch or not. Um, going through a process like that is, I mean, with as little regulatory guidance as we have, okay. Um, but, you know, if you have any one entity that says we're turning on a switch and we're going to start making a bunch of money, like you're probably a security. A, a very gray area, so I think that's probably the safe bet. Are, yeah. are you guys um, pretty well funded then? Like, how do, how are you able to to have a full a team on full time building this um, tooling for DAOs? Yeah, so we raised our seed round uh, last March, so 2021. Um, so Dragonfly and Parify led that one. It was a three three point two million round, and then we just raised our Series A. Which was led by Spark and Polychain, um, so got another twenty million in there. Nice. So theoretically, you have a good run rate then in our yeah. build market, not our yeah. bear market. Yeah. <laughs> Although Sam's not helping with that. <laughs> um, talking about yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. So. <laughs> um, so going back to to kind of the this example I used of this wine DAO that we're creating. Um, so we have people who are interested in the common mission. We have a, a bank account that we can vote on and we're voting. How does that treasury get funded? Like, where does the money come from? Uh, so a number of ways. So, you know, first it can happen through some sort of like initial sale. So that's like probably the, the means we see the most where, um, you either allocate a portion of the treasury, um, or of the token supply to the treasury. And then you end up selling the rest of the tokens um, to the public. Potentially, the proceeds of that token sale end up going into the DAO as well. Um, so, sort of like one example there is like BitDAO. You know, BitDAO ended up selling their token. Um, so they have a lot of stables. They also have a lot of BitDAO in their treasury. Uh, from there, you can have some sort of potential revenue model. And so, you know, that would look like maybe Board Apes, where um, you know they generate a lot of royalties off of um, all of their sales. That money primarily goes back into the DAO, I believe. Um, I am not a uh, super read up on board apes, but uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So um, from there, you know, that's that's pretty much your your two routes. Um, and so, you know, definitely, 
And, and then, I mean, I guess the third is like, you can do like investments. And so if you have like these stables, you know, you can lend them out on FTX and, you know, earn interest. But as we can see, that has a lot of risk. <laughs> um, and so, you know, with that, I think the, the big question for DAOs is how do you start to generate a consistent and sustainable revenue stream that can offset yeah. all of your liabilities? Um, and until you can sort of get to that point, um, hopefully you have enough money in your treasury and are managing it responsibly to, you know, fund all operations. Mm -hmm. And are these initial offerings typically like, like would this be a wine token or is this a NFT collection of 10,000 generative NFTs that, um, you know, raises the money or can it be both? It could be both. It okay. could be one or the other or both. You know, we're, we're seeing some communities do have both liquid tokens and NFTs now. Axie and DYDX are two examples, um, you know, but it could be one or the other. Got it. And I was going to say, Thomas. there's a lot of naysayers against like Web3 and, and DAOs. Why are DAOs so much more important uh, in this like age right now? Um, and, and can't we just do this with normal Web2 technologies um, like this wine DAO uh, that Sean really, really wants to create? I do too, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, I'm very down. I, I do love some wine. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think the the real benefits of DAOs come from um, easier access of token holders, but we'll call them just like generally shareholders, um, like easier interference into company operations. And so if you disagree with the direction a company's going, you know, if it's a public company, like there's not really much you can do. Um, but, you know, if you're actually having like token in a community, you can go into the forum, you can start raising your voice. And so there's a lot more activism that you can have. And from that, hopefully more democratic um, operations. So you have a platform. From there, you can also place, yeah. So it's a, a more public platform um, and you know easier collaboration. From there, uh, you also can place more power in the hands of people that are probably best to make decisions. So, you know, I think the what DAOs are really good at is like the DAO starts to decide, I want to go from A to B, um, and then I'm going to allocate funds to get us from A to B. And then you start to look to the members of the DAO, maybe their working groups, sub DAOs, whatever. Um, and then you're like, hey, like submit proposals for how you can get us from A to B. And then you can decide which proposals you want to fund. Um, and so, you know, with that, it then enables, say, like someone who's really good at marketing or really good at risk management or whatever to have full control um, or, you know, shared control via multi-sig or something um, versus in a corporation, um, you know, even the most like flat organizations like Facebook, you still have central like control with Zuck, who then all of a sudden decides they want to spend $250 billion on meta. Um, and, you know, it's a, a waste of money. They scrap the whole thing. So, you know, you can start to avoid situations like that because um, in a DAO, like he wouldn't have that decision power. I see. So I think there's some arguments to be made that a hierarchy. What was that noise? Was that me? Sorry, I think Siri. Hold on a second. <laughs> That's probably on your own, Sean. Yeah, sorry, Siri just activated. I don't know what I said to her. Um, so I, I think there's an argument to be made that 
in a company, some sort of hierarchy can be beneficial, right? Like if a founder has a vision and they have the industry expertise and they can, you know, they should be driving the vision of that company. How does that play into DAOs? Because I know like the D in DAO is decentralized. Are the most successful DAOs out there actually 100% decentralized or is there someone or a group of people leading the charge? The eternal question. Um, <laughs> I think um, the way I like to think about it is sort of twofold. Firstly, I think decentralization isn't the ends. It's like a means to get to an end. Um, you know, we don't want to trust central actors like SPF. And so we want to use decentralized exchanges like Uniswap. Um, but, you know, it's like there's no such thing as like, like it's not black or white. It's just like one big gradient of gray. And so there's different levels of decentralization. Um, and especially within DAOs where, you know, these are really like operating entities, you need to balance effective operations with decentralization. And so, you know, maybe some things you want to make sure you have like total vote from the entire DAO, like should we spend a billion dollars investing in a project? But, you know, if you're saying like, oh, should we approve this one person's thousand dollar paycheck? Um, do we really need everyone say in that if, you know, there was already some sort of agreement that we were hiring this person? Um, and so depending on what the decision is, you need more or less levels of decentralization. Um, I think that's the, the best way to think about it. And from there, I think if you can put as much of the actual like like as much autonomy in the operators as possible um, and then leave the DAO really more to be like, okay, we're going to define what is point A, what is point B, and what is our budget to get there. Um, I think that enables a, a very good level of decentralization. Um, and then you can track um, the performance of, you know, the people that are receiving your grants. Yep. I mean, you, you're in a unique position because you kind of have exposure to um, some of the you know, most successful DAOs in the industry. What are some, like a handful of use cases that you really like? Maybe you're a part of the communities um, that are, you know, making a real difference in the world by being a DAO. Yeah. So, I mean, I think sort of twofold. Um, so first example I always love is Osmosis, which is pretty much like Uniswap for Cosmos. Um, they have probably one of the most robust DAOs out there. They have more active members in their DAOs than even Uniswap does. Um, and they have a really robust sub-DAO infrastructure. So, you know, this goes back to sort of what I've been talking about, where they'll say, like, we want to spend $2 million on marketing this quarter. And they already have, um, I don't know the exact number, but it's in the range of, you know, five or six different marketing sub-DAOs. Each of them will submit their plan, their proposal, um, what KPIs they think they can hit. Um, at the end of the quarter, the DAO can say, okay, we want to increase budget or decrease budget. And then, you know, we want to reallocate between the different sub DAOs based on how they performed and if they met their KPIs or not. Um, super interesting operational structure, pretty effective. Um, and so, I mean, I think that's a, a really interesting way to start like rethinking organizations, um, you know, versus in a corporation, whoever's your marketing manager is your marketing manager. Like, you know, there's not too much um, active change that you can do there. Um, in terms of DAOs driving more explicit impact, um, I'd say like regen 
finance and uh, some of these that are, are driving like carbon credits are really interesting examples. Um, carbon credit marketplaces are, are fairly opaque and difficult to manage um, in Web2 right now. And so um, it enables like an easier access to start investing in these kinds of assets. Um, and for those who don't know, like carbon credit, pretty much for like planting a tree, you can calculate how much carbon that offsets. That has a certain dollar value. And then when, say, like Walmart says, we're going to like go to carbon neutral by 2030, they need to purchase a certain amount of those credits. Um, pretty much every company has said they're going carbon neutral by like 2030 or 2050. So like there's a massive demand. Um, but again, it's really difficult to buy them in Web2 structures. So um, they have a DAO that sources through a variety of different brokers, approves the credits, and enables you to purchase them. So um, definitely like pretty good impact. When you were giving that example of like uh, where we have like a marketing, like or like multiple marketing sub DAOs, it sounds like the it sounds like you're introducing more bureaucracy than you're actually taking away, and you're introducing way more complexion or complexity as well. Uh, what it, are you actually making things easier? Or are you making things more complex with just a novel solution? in that particular uh, scenario? Um, yeah, so I mean, I think there's definitely bureaucracy that's being created, but I think in this example at the sub DAO level, um, you know, so we'll just take it like you're a marketing associate. Um, you work for Walmart e-commerce. You have probably the same budget every single quarter. Um, there's very limited things that you can do um, it's probably also pretty hard to fire you um, or just be like for any shareholder to be like, this team is ineffective. We need to get rid of them or cut their funding. Yep. Um, and there's also a lot of bureaucracy that really prevents you from doing maybe like more interesting strategies. Um, within a sub DAO, you receive some grants um, and then you're able to have pretty much full autonomy on what you're doing. Uh, so you can start working on one strategy. If it's not working and you don't think you're going to hit your KPIs, you can flip to another. Um, and so with that, you know, you really get to like own your work where it can get tricky is, you know, you need to make sure you're hitting your KPIs. Otherwise you're not going to get your grant renewed, you know, it, assuming it's a quarterly basis, you know, at the next quarter. Um, and so while there is complexity, um, I think you're streamlining the workflows for the people themselves, um, both the operators as well as the actual owners of the company the DAO organization, whatever you want to call it. Gotcha. So you're not necessarily taking away bureaucracy completely within a DAO, but you're yeah. really simplifying operations and you're um, at least removing some of the crappy bureaucracy that we are used to and the red tape in a normal corporate yeah. structure. Yeah, definitely. Got it. So when you talk about like sub DAOs, um, so DAOs within DAOs, whatever, the people that are doing the actual marketing are just normal people, right? It's just someone who's interested in marketing. Maybe they're really good at um, PPC ads. They love the Cosmos ecosystem, so they join this marketing sub DAO. And what's their experience like in a sub DAO as a marketer? Like, how do they um, decide what to work on? Who approves what they work on? And how do they get paid? Yeah. So, so we have uh, a lot of different flavors, um, and so. You know, we do see in some sub DAOs, there's like a very key leader, and then that person has a team that's like helping support them. 
Um, and it's sort of like a consultancy with like a CEO of the consultancy. And, you know, they sort of pick the work, they drive, they manage hiring, et cetera. And it's sort of its own like organization. Um, you have others where it is a lot more team collaborative. And then, you know, maybe they use tools sort of like coordinate where then they can say, oh, like this person did the most work during this project. And so then you sort of know your final payout at the end of the project based on like how much you contributed. Um, and then from there, you can also have uh, sub DAOs that it's just a person. Um, you know, if, if I'm just a guy that, you know, is good at PPC ads, I can also just submit a proposal and be like, I want to do this just entirely by myself. Um, mm. And so, you know, with that, um, you know, there's there's different models. And then I think the last one is sort of like, you see really complex sub DAOs evolve into like service DAOs. So this sort of looks like vector DAO, where uh, it's a group of product designers that then all sort of share the benefits of um, like core infrastructure. So they have, you know, operations teams, people that do the payments, all that jazz, um, people who do sales, people come to VectorDAO and be like, I want to hire you guys. And then they help allocate talent. Um, and so then you participate in there because, you know, they really do a lot of sort of your like admin of doing work. Um, and then they'll work with, you know, a vast amount of different projects. So, um, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of different ways that you can do this. Um, depending on, you know, what you want to optimize for. Got it. And if I'm understanding correctly, too, the, the A in DAOs is autonomous. So is that kind of where Commonwealth comes in, is you provide a lot of the tooling to make these things a little autonomous and make these things just kind of happen? Yeah. Uh, I'd say we're, we're very bullish on, on the A um, versus <laughs> the D uh, in DAO. Um, you know, I think if we want to go anywhere, we need to be able to actually do things and so we need less decision by mob. Um, and even if, even if we're going from decision by mob down to like decision by like small committee, um, you know, I think that's still much, much more beneficial. Where do you want to see DAOs go? Because right now there's like a couple clear use cases. You mentioned a little bit in service DAOs um, as being like the next piece that you see evolving. What do you think the future is um, three, four or five years from now? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of a lot of flavors of DAOs. I think we're going to see a lot more uh, gaming guilds pop up as well. Um, and so, you know, with as much success as we saw with say like Phase Clan, um, which like not a DAO, but you know could be. Um, and then you know, I guess the the alternative of that like YGG, I think we're going to see that expand a lot more, especially as just like Web three gaming improves. Um, from there, I think we're going to see a lot more creator DAOs as well. And so then, you know, you can even potentially have, um, you know, like fuck Jerry DAO where, uh, anyone who makes good memes can potentially get like voted to have like posting permissions and maybe they can post like 10 posts a month or unlimited posts or whatever. Um, and so, uh, you, you can start to do structures like that. You can then have like community who maybe aren't admins then also like submit content and vote on content that they like that like then maybe can also get posted. Um, I think that will especially blow up as we see more like Web3 social platforms sort of like Lens um, expand. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more sub DAO infrastructure pop up um, and we're going to see some of these like protocol DAOs that are, you know, building products realize that they need to not have like internal headcount and rather like 
lean on these decentralized frameworks. Um, and so, you know, with that, I think we'll also begin to see a much larger, I guess, call it like sub DAO workforce um, grow. And then finally, we're going to start to see some of the biggest DAOs uh, rival major tech corporations. Um, so, you know, for instance, like DYDX made $200 million in revenue in the last year. Uh, if you compare that with a lot of big tech companies, you know, they're probably bigger than, you know, I mean, even definitely more profitable than like Uber um, or Airbnb or Lyft. Um, and so, you know, once those potentially turn on their fee switches, um, they actually start to look like, you know, pretty significant organizations. And I think especially that's when, you know, we'll even start to see a lot more institutional investors move in. And, you know, take the perspective of, okay, we can now value these things similar to stocks. Um, yeah. And, and mm-hmm. that particular scenario, when you say institutional investors and DAOs and, and, and them participating in them, what's the benefit for an investor to actually participate? Because there's no, like, public, like, they're, they're not going to be publicly traded, at least I don't think. So what, what's the end goal of a VC actually participating in that? Um, so, I mean, I, I think they can be publicly traded, like, you know, you see DYDX token, you know, has liquid markets. And so, you know, you can start to do the, the math of like, okay, you know, DYDX token pays out, you know, $2 a year in dividends, you know, that makes it worth, you know, 20 X multiple $40 a token. Um, all of these are hypothetical numbers, not financial advice. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think you can start to see that. And then also we'll start to see um, like almost like activist investor funds as well, where you're not only taking on a stake um, just for maybe a possible fee switch, but even um, then like doing active contributions. So sort of the example we see here is with Reverie. They're a, a DAO consultancy. Um, they run the DYDX grants program, the Osmosis grants program, the Uniswap DeFi education fund. Uh, they used to do work with compound grants um, and a number of other projects. And then so with that, um, you know, they end up taking on decent stakes in the project um, and then do active work to add value to the ecosystem. So you've mentioned a few times uh, turning on the fee switch. Where so Tom's and I run an agency, so we're you know we're entrepreneurs. Like we like building businesses. Where does the entrepreneur fit in here with a DAO? Like if like me sitting here, I'm like you know that'd be really cool. I want to start this, but what's the business model for that entrepreneur to make money? <laughs> um, yeah, so I think the. I'm a big fan of like the progressive decentralization thesis um, that Jesse Walden put out from Varian. So pretty much in that, it's again, you know, it's it's this big shade of gray. When you first have an idea, it is like the most centralized you can be. It's literally only in your head. Um, eventually, you need to get to the point of maker where you have like hundreds and thousands of random people on the internet actually running it. And no one has power. Um, you know, from there, in the current environment, there's definitely a lot of uh, fundraising that needs to be done at first in order to make this possible, whether you're going VC route, whether you're doing some sort of sale to community. Um, or, you know, maybe uh, you were mining Bitcoin in 2013, but you didn't have it on Mt. Gox, and, you know, you can now just afford to do it yourself. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, from there, uh, gradually as you build up, I think the 
the right point to really decentralize and move more towards a DAO is once you found pretty good product market fit. So the best example here is Gnosis Safe. Um, you know, Gnosis built this like core infrastructure project, and only once you know it's battle tested, everyone trusts it. It's around. It's going to stay. Uh, they finally were like, okay, we're going to pass the keys over to uh, the community, and you can figure out what the future is here. Um, obviously, not necessarily everyone has uh, the fundraising or um, team to be able to last that long, but I think that's the general mental model: is you know, ideally build a product, get it into good usage, and then let the community take it from there. Um, Got it. And, and yeah. when you say pass the keys to the community, what what happens to the founders? Are they just are they just totally out and like no longer revenue you know flows to them? Um, well, I mean, in in this current model, um, you would typically see a portion of tokens going towards like the founding team, um, and so they would accrue tokens through that. Um, there's many different models that you can take with this. I think also. Um, you can start to see that the like founders or original builders do play a role and like are end up getting employed by the DAO. Um, and so, you know, maybe there's a governance council for your protocol. You end up having a seat on it. Each person that has a seat on this council gets paid, you know, X dollars a year. Um, and so you can start to, you know, play in that way. Um, yeah. You talked about DAOs being profitable or the ability for them to be profitable and even ones out there that bring, you know, hundreds of million dollars in revenue. Uh, and then you also mentioned uh, the company Uber. Do you think DAOs can just totally replace and make Uber obsolete? Oof. Um, I want to say no, uh, just purely because I think like Uber's business model is is flawed. Um, I think it's you you have inherently like very tight margins um, on just like public transportation, um, and I'm not sure if you know adding into DAO necessarily will like solve those unit economics, but um, maybe one day maybe we'll see that. <laughs> yeah. So as as you look at DAOs at where they are today. Um, what are a few things that you think they're really good at and what are a few things that you think they're really bad at that we need to kind of figure out in the next year, couple of years? Yeah. Um, I think they're really good at moving quickly and, uh, pivoting pretty well. So you can see organizations like maker lay off their entire marketing org when they just decide, wait, this doesn't really seem like a good use of money. Uh, definitely not something you would see happen, especially so quickly um, or publicly at an actual company. Um, from there, I think it's also very good at sourcing a variety of different interesting ideas. Um, and so you can have any, any number of smart people step up um, and start to share their vision for the future, and the org will sort of move just naturally in that direction. Um, what are they bad at? Uh, DAOs are really bad at managing people in most cases. Um, and so if you end up having a large organization with a lot of part-time contributors, we have seen that a lot of them are just wasting their money. They don't necessarily have like people to manage people. Um, and the people end up just sort of being like freeloaders. Um, you know, so I think with that, like 
you know, whether it's a DAO or a company, you still just have certain like leadership principles that are inherent with humans. Um, and so you need to have like clearly defined projects, et cetera. Um, and so that's an area I think DAOs really need to improve, especially they need to improve there before scaling up into like very large organizations spending tons of money on payroll. Um, and then lastly, in most cases, DAOs can be really bad um, at making highly complex decisions. And so, you know, like when it comes to like, how should we allocate a $10 million treasury into different investments? Not everyone's qualified to make that decision. Uh, and so you shouldn't go to the crowd of 10,000 token holders and be like, everyone gets the same say, and we're going to vote how we invest this money. Um, and, you know, we actually saw instances where Padawan Dow ended up raising money to send kids to uh, crypto conferences. They went levered long ETH when ETH was at 4,200, uh, and they lost <laughs> half of their money. Um, and so, you know, it's like, and, and you know, it's a, a group of like, 17 year old kids plus or minus more or less um <laughs> yeah maybe, maybe you you know hire someone who like actually had a financial background and you're like oh you've generated returns over the last decade okay we'll trust your decision um yeah yeah so in, in crypto a lot of people like there's this like a subset of people that like to stay anonymous so in a situation like this how do you know that somebody is qualified when if they choose to be anonymous um, yeah, it's currently a pretty difficult, um, direction. I think from there, there's certain like demonstrations of experience that you can potentially go through. So, you know, maybe it's okay. We want to know what your investment plan is. And then you, you give a detailed explanation and, you know, based on the quality of your work, we mm -hmm. can just purely evaluate that. And it's like, uh, okay, you, you seem like, you know what you're doing. Um, we can trust you. Um, from there, the other like much more interesting future that we have to build towards is building out digital identity. And you can start to actually have um, either on-chain or off-chain records that are tied to wallet addresses um, testifying to your accuracy um, and experience. And from there, you can use that as sort of your like online resume that doesn't have your name on it and you can stay anonymous. Yep. Are there any implementations of that right now um, that you've seen that are really interesting where um, I'm assuming you're, you're referencing verified credentials as the off-chain and then on-chain would be NFTs um, and DIDs as the decentralized identifier. Are there any projects out there that are doing this well or is there still a lot to build? So I'd say, you know, one of the projects that we're working with is Disco, you know, big fans of theirs. I think they're, you know, re building really interesting tech um, that helps blend um, just like how we sort of think of identity in, you know, each person has a variety of different aspects to their identity. Um, most of it is all off chain and we just need to have verifiable um, uh, authenticators uh, for these different like VCs. Um, and so like, that's interesting. And then there's another project called show karma where you can start to accrue points for participation. Um, and so, you know, I think that's an interesting one. We've seen a lot of DAOs start to use to try and identify who are their highest, uh, contribution contributors. As you see contributors, um, 
working within DAOs, uh, both uh, non like known and anonymous, uh, whatever the opposite of, of anonymous is, I can't think of right now. Um, Ducks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what do you think is going to happen from like a worker classification standpoint? And I'm not sure if this is like like a regulatory question or angle that I'm getting at here, but like typically you have employees as a W-2 and then contractors as 1099. Do you see the future as being W-2 or 1099 or somewhere in the middle? And if it, in the middle, what would that be? Yeah, so I think it's going to be in the middle with a heavy slant to w2 i think that you know corporations have been the most successful or probably second most successful human coordinating entity second only to like empires back in the day um with that i think like yes there's problems with corporations but there's also a lot we can learn from them in terms of what people like most people like stability they like to know how much money they're getting each like week they like to know that they can pay for their kid's school and pay for groceries and know that they have a job. Uh, most people don't want to be freelancers, don't want to be spending time going out trying to source work. They want to do the things that they know how to do and they like to do. Um, all of this leans much more towards a standard W-2 type model um, versus moving into maybe a more heavy freelancer future, which you know some people in the DAO community think is where we're heading. Um, I think DAOs do enable freelancer type work, but, you know, I'm betting that, you know, most people don't want to do that. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of, of headaches and hoops that you jump through as a 1099. But I wonder if like yeah. things like, you know, you could even code that into a smart contract of the regular payments, you know, if, if you just yeah. like, Hey, we're hiring you for a year. Uh, but I guess maybe the employer can't get out of that when they, <laughs> when they might want to get out of that. <laughs> Yeah, there and there, there's some ways they can. So you know, like some of the streaming like tools, you can cancel a stream. Um, mm -hmm. I think you know, with that, there's really interesting work being done by like Opalus, where they help bridge sort of this like W two type facet with like more crypto native employment. Um, mm -hmm. And so they create an entity that you then are employed by. The entity is then receiving all of the payments. Um, and they can even do interfaces where you get paid in stables and then they will convert it into dollars and direct deposit. So mm. what this all enables is you can actually have like a, here's my contract. I make this much money. I am good to like rent this apartment um, uh. <laughs> versus, you know, if all of a sudden you're just like, oh, yeah, like, look at this Etherscan wallet. Like, please, I can I can afford this. Um you know, that, look at this group chat I'm in that I swear pays me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so you know, I think Opolis is doing some really cool work there. Um, and so, again, it's like it, it's how do we keep some of the benefits that people like about W2s while making it fit into this like new crypto native world? Um, I think that like that's where the interesting stuff is happening. What do you think the differences are going to be between this like? in between kind of leaning towards W2 and an actual W2 from a regulatory standpoint, um, or even who's liable. Because in a W2 situation, like the corporation is responsible for that person, uh, and, and there's people leading that. In a decentralized, uh, in a DAO, which is decentralized in, in theory, um, yeah, it, like everyone's responsible, I guess, in that point, right? Yeah. So. 
there's a much deeper, more nuanced conversation to be had here, especially with respect to a recent regulatory decision that came out um, that I am not necessarily qualified to dig into, mm. um, where pretty much regulatory ended up saying like DAO voters are personally liable for the DAO. I think wow. in the model of where we're heading, um, I mean, I think first off, I would like to believe that that ruling will get clarified later on. Um, but I think more so you will end up having like entities. So whether it's this op opolis where you have your own company that you are a W2 of, but you're the only W2, um, you know, you will have some sort of entity. And then it's more a matter of the DAO allocates funding to these entities that then employ people um, or potentially have like 1099 contractors. Um, yeah. I want to go back to a little bit on the identity before we wrap up here. So for workers that, so in theory in the future, when we have verified credentials and maybe NFTs, for workers that are, you know, doing work, they could in theory get rewarded with something that says, hey, they did a good job here as a verified credential. What, uh, is that how you see the future here of work? Um, is we have wallets with things that prove our worth? <laughs> um, to an extent. Um, I, I don't necessarily like saying DAOs are like the future of work because I do think that a lot of people just want to work at corporations and I don't think DAOs replace corporations, but more so unlock a new kind of organization. Um, with that, you know, I do think, yeah, probably with that is you're going to start to have, you know, if you're anonymous, you'll start to have these credentials, which you will like be forced to rely on, um, Otherwise, you um, you know can potentially have your own public persona. You don't like um, I don't use any anons, and so um, you know if I wanted to go work for a DAO, I can just be like you know here's my online profile. You know you can evaluate if you want to hire me or not. Um, but you know I think again like I would probably also have some of uh, a wallet with VCs that you know, maybe it's just uh, an easier testament. Yep. Awesome. Well, George, thanks again. This was very enlightening. I learned so much about DAOs. I very much appreciate the conversation. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun.